in an exciting moment, in a new and a fresh time in the life of God's people. But this morning, we're beginning an eight-week journey that this church has been preparing for for nearly 15 months. Uh, the best way I know to get to it is to begin to talk about Jesus, because that's the right answer to everything, right? If you kind of doze off in Bible class and they ask a question, the right answer is always Jesus. Just remember that. Unless they say, who was it that tempted Adam and Eve? And then you're in real trouble. In Mark 1, we find Jesus. He'd had a huge and very busy day the day before. He'd healed people. He cast out demons. He spoke the message of the kingdom of God. And people were coming to him in swarms. He gets up early the next morning and in prayer he spends time with the Father. And the disciples come to him and Peter, like he always does, goes, Lord, everybody is looking for you. And Jesus says, we must leave here and go on to other villages and cities. For that is why I was sent. Out of a sense of mission to reach more people, Jesus left the folks that were clamoring for him. As the disciples later in his ministry argued about who was most important, he once again stated his mission. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the exclamation point on three different times he told them he had to go to Jerusalem and die and be raised from the dead. They didn't get it. When Jesus went to see Zacchaeus, people murmured that he was in the house of a chief tax collector, someone who had grown wealthy off the back of Israelites as he worked with the Romans. A despicable profession. And Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is, you know the word, right? Say it with me, lost. Jesus lived out of this in, in, in very passionate sense of mission, a vision that God had given him for his work and his purpose. We dig a little deeper, and as we dig a little deeper, when Jesus gets to the end of his ministry, you remember the words he says on the cross. It's finished. I've done what God had sent me to do. When we look in the New Testament, we look at the Apostle Paul. And he says, I count my life worth nothing to me except that I complete the mission that God has given me, the mission of testifying to the Lord's grace. He says that to the Ephesian elders and Acts 20. On another occasion, when he wrote to the Colossians, he says, I preach Christ, warning and encouraging folks everywhere that I might present them fully mature in Jesus. Another time, he speaks about his desire late in his years as he knows life is passing him by, and he says, 
It's always been my ambition, my calling to preach the gospel where nobody has ever been before. So I hope to come to you in Rome so that you can send me on to Spain and regions beyond so that I can take the gospel. Why don't I share that? Because Jesus and Paul lived out of a sense of mission. They knew why they were there and they knew what they were supposed to do. And I think you and I, we can look at each other and say, we got to have that sense of mission. What are we about? Why did, why did God put us here? But should we do that as a church? For a church to spend a bunch of time on mission and vision? Isn't that, should we just put up the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Shouldn't we just say that's our mission? Well, in a sense, it is our mission because it's every Christian's mission and it's every church's mission. But if you open up your Bible, whether it's... a digital one like I have with me, and bring up a list of the New Testament books, or a regular Bible, and you open it up to a list of New Testament books, guess what you find? Four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. The book of Acts that tell about the expansion of the early church. Then what comes next? The letters of Paul. And they're written to churches. Now, some of them are written to lots of churches, like the book of Galatians is written to churches in a region. It'd be like somebody sent a, a, a message to the churches of East Texas. Well, it'd be to you guys, but it'd be to a lot of other congregations too. But these are letters he sent specifically to one congregation, to the church in Rome, to the church in Corinth to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, and to a church that we don't know exactly where it was in Second John. These all had the same call to do the Great Commission, but Paul and John give them a specific calling, a specific mission to live out in that moment. And even more interesting is you go to the book of Revelation and everybody gets all hung up on all the images and all that kind of stuff. And they want to look at every little detail and assign it to something. But there's no mystery when you read the first three chapters of Revelation. Jesus comes and he has a message for his churches. And there are seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 that he specifically addresses. They all live in the same geographic region, close to each other. Smaller than East Texas. I was privileged to visit there this last summer. They're not very spread out. They all face similar circumstances. The emperor cult was pushing the worship of Domitian in Asia Minor so that they could get money for the cities. And to do that, they made sure everybody had to sacrifice when they went to the theater or went to buy uh, food in the market. And Christians wouldn't do it. And all of a sudden, they began to be persecuted, some even killed. But when Jesus chose to speak to those churches, 
He gave each of those seven churches specific mission for the specific moment. A specific message with a specific mission for a specific time. And that's what God has called this church to do. To recognize that Pine Tree is put here at this specific time for God's purpose. Not ours, but His. And we are to reach out to a specific community with a specific set of gifts that God has collected here and given here to people that are a part of this family. And there are unique opportunities to this church because of you. I hope that before our time together is over, we can have everybody in this church list 10 people outside this church that they're friends with. And we put a network cluster on some big wall. And you'll suddenly realize that the impact of this church is not just four or five hundred people, but it's thousands. God has put us here for this moment and this time to bring Jesus to our world and our community. So how do we do that? Well, about 14 or 15 months ago, a group led by the elders began to focus on some things. And as they dug into the call of the Great Commission and Jesus' call to this church, they identified seven commitments. And over the next eight weeks, we'll look at those seven commitments that your leadership believes are essential. And in just a moment, one of your elders is going to share those with you. But those Seven commitments rise out of a conviction that out of the overflow of God's love given to us that we celebrated in communion and God's grace that we've received through salvation and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God has a plan that he is calling us to, the church at Pine Tree. And this is my church for the interim. You're my people, so I include me in that. But this is... Not my vision, and this is not my set of commitments that come from you. And it goes back to one deep understanding of the mission of this church rooted in the Great Commission itself, and that mission is to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. How did you get there? Where did this mission statement come from? Does it really mean anything? Is it more than eye candy? Well, that's to be determined by what we do with this call to mission. But to help explain it a little bit more, I'm going to ask Ty Ford, if he would, to come and talk about the process by which your church family heard God's call to this mission. I want to start and just say what a vision really is and try to help us all know what we're talking about when we say a vision. And so very simply, a vision is a picture of the results you want to see. A vision is a picture of the results you want to see. And what's funny is we all practice vision all the time, almost every day. We're pretty much all visionary people. We just don't realize it. 
For example, I might have a vision for today, and some of you may share in this vision. One thing I have visualized is that at some point today, I'm going to sit in the corner of my couch and watch the cowboy game. I have visualized that. That's a, a vision. It's that simple. I visualize myself sitting there watching the Cowboys win, all right? And that's a picture of the result I want to see. And we all practice vision in this way all the time. You might have practiced vision this morning in the fact that I visualize being here on time. You know, I I visualize that, not me scooting in late. And so therefore, there's things I have to do to accomplish that vision. A vision is a picture of the results we want to see. And because it's a picture, it's something we can share easily. Because as I share that picture of me sitting in the corner of the couch, you too can visualize it. You can catch that vision and know what I'm talking about. And so we understand that the outcome or the results, that is what we're talking about. The picture of the results. But a vision is not a plan. We're not tasked with having to say how that's going to happen when we're sharing vision. Vision is just a picture of the results we want to see. But a vision does help to motivate. It helps us to prioritize. It helps us to build a plan so that we can accomplish those results. So if we stick with my example to get to sit in the corner of my couch and watch the Cowboys, if that's my vision, automatically I can start to prioritize and think about and plan the things that I need to do to make that vision happen. You know, i got to go eat lunch at some point so I can sit there and enjoy the game and not be growling my stomach and everything. I've got to get home at a certain time because I'm sure there's some things I've got to do around the house before I can sit down. I've got to get a giant glass of sweet tea and I've got to clear my favorite spot on the couch so I can watch that game. So if we have a vision, then we automatically can begin to assess and see the things that we've got to do in order to accomplish that vision. But if we don't have a vision, if we don't have a picture of the results we're shooting for, how do we know that our activity, that our energy is being spent moving us towards that vision? We can't. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. We've got to have a vision. And so we practice vision all the time, every single one of us. We visualize things and we work towards those results. And visions make it easier for us to plan and prioritize. Vision makes it easier for us to work as a team, coming together, visualizing the results, and working towards it together, knowing that that is what we are seeking to achieve. Over a year ago, I think God placed it on a number of people's hearts that our church needed a vision, that our church was needing that shared picture of the results so that we could come together, prioritize, so that we could assess what it is we're trying to accomplish and work together as a team to do what it is God wants us to do. Well, this was in the elders' mind as well. They also had been wrestling with the question of, what is it that God has called us exactly to do in this community in this time? Because we have a lot of activities going on at church. We've had that, and activity is good. But if we can get it all focused in the same direction, behind the shared vision, the things that God can do through our body will be amazing. So over a year ago, the elders began a process to discover and to develop a vision. 
And this process was not only to see what God had placed on their hearts already, but to seek the Lord and to seek God's desires for this church family. There was a lot of time spent in prayer. There was time to fast. And there was time to listen to each other and time to listen to the Spirit. This was not something that came about in one or two meetings. This was not something that happened in a month, but over a year. And I want you to know the elders worked hard. They gave a lot of time and energy. We brought the deacons and staff into the process, and their thoughts and their heart was wrapped into the vision, the outcome that you'll see today. But the elders really exhibited uh, perseverance and endurance as they continued to stay the course on this process. Today is a special day, because for the first time you will hear this vision, this picture that God has placed on the hearts of your leaders. Today a picture is going to be shared with you. It's a vision, a picture of who we will be and what we will be about. And as you listen, I want to ask you to visualize yourself, to dream. As Jim shares, I want you to dream of what God can do through us as we live out his calling to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus in Longview and around the world. So Jim is going to come and share in just a moment the seven commitments that help describe this vision statement to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers. Before he does that, I want to say one more thing, and then I want to lead us in a prayer. I want, to know, I want you to know, and I want it to be clear, and I know the elders agree with this, it is only by God. It is only by God's power and his wisdom and his guidance that we will accomplish anything. And he will be at the center of everything we do as he has been leading up to this point where these things are shared. So we trust in God. We rejoice that he is our Lord. And through him, I know amazing things are going to be happening, not just visualized. I want to pray, and then Jim will come up here. Dear Father, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you so much for the elders and their commitment to seek you and to want to lead us in a way that honors you, to lead us in a way that will get us out of our seats and get us moving into action. Father, you know it has been my prayer for a long time that you would awaken us, that you would awaken this body to get moving and to get active in serving you and sharing you with our community, with this world, who needs you so much. And so, Father, I pray as we listen to these commitments, these things that help describe this picture that you've placed on our leaders' hearts, I pray that we would be overjoyed and that we would be ready to begin this work I pray, Father, that you would receive all the honor and glory for these things and for whatever happens from this moment forward. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for giving us a mission in this world. Help us, Father, to see exactly what you want us to do in this community each day of our lives. Help us, Father, to just love you so much and to live out of the overflow of that love that we would just go to those around us and share you. Thank you so much, Father, for this moment. Please be with Jim as he comes and shares. And I pray that you bless us all with open hearts, 
and open ears that we may hear from you. It's through Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks, Ty. And after that introduction, all I really need to do is read them to you. So it's a great job. We'll be sharing more details of each one of these in the coming uh, weeks, couple next couple of months. Uh, we'll be focusing on one of these commitments at a time going forward. So today I just want to provide an introduction and, and read the, uh, the commitments to you. So commitment number one is we will cultivate a deeper love for God that motivates and compels us to action, living each day in his service. <clears throat> As a church, we'll be committed to cultivating a deeper love for God that motivates and compels us to action, which is very similar to what, uh, what Jesus said in the, what he called the greatest, or what's called the greatest command, and that is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all your strength. And the more we love him, the more we serve, we will serve him from the heart and not just from obliga- out of obligation. So again, we'll be compelled to action and living in his service. Commitment number two. We will be a loving family full of hope, joy, and excitement for Jesus and for each other. Again, I tie this back to the the rest of that greatest command scripture, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. We are committed to being a, a loving family full of hope, joy, and excitement for Jesus and for each other. Commitment number three. We, being a diverse group, will pursue unity as we focus on Jesus. And I want to focus a little bit on the diverse part. Uh, We are a diverse group, and we want that diversity to grow and be a strength of this body. We have members and visitors here that are very conservative, very liberal, from different ethnic and racial backgrounds. We even have some Alabama fans here, believe it or not. <clears throat> and most, the most important commitment here is unity, both in the leadership uh, and throughout the church and building on that diversity. <clears throat> Number four, <clears throat> we will be committed to nurturing the faith of young families, youth, and children while supporting the Christian family in marriage. Our young families, our children, and our youth are our future, and we are committing to, committed to nurturing their faith and supporting our families. <clears throat> Commitment number five. We will train and develop disciples who passionately follow Jesus and are equipped to teach others to do the same. <clears throat> We're not only encouraging people to follow Jesus, but we want to teach them how to do it. We want our members to be passionate about following Jesus and able to teach others. And this ties real closely to our mission, our mission of uh, make, mature, and multiply. Commitment number six. <clears throat> we will have an outward focus, sharing the love of Jesus with the local community and being a refuge of hope, encouragement, and love. We are committed to sharing the love of Jesus and to having a more outward focus in our community and being that refuge of hope that people in our community are looking for. So again, we want to focus here on on having a more outward focus is our vision. 
And then commitment number seven, <clears throat> we will proclaim the gospel to the lost of the world. The ultimate goal of these commitments is to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. And this one, number seven, is about multiplying. In all of these commitments, we've uh, written some sub-bullets that further defines what we think that vision means. And, and under this one, we do have uh, uh, several sub-bullets that, uh, that I want to share with you today because as we're leading up to our mission Sunday next week, I thought it would be good to read each the details of this one, this commitment to proclaim the gospel. We will encourage, motivate, and lead our members to take a personal role in sharing the gospel to the lost, starting in Longview and around the world. We will create and, mo and promote opportunities for our members to be involved in missions. We will increase our support and deepen our our partnership with mission efforts locally, regionally, and internationally. We will give generously of our time and resources to those who don't know Jesus. And as this commitment says, we will proclaim the gospel to the lost of the world. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to close my part with a, a blessing from Paul from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Okay, Leonard. Out of the outflow of God's grace, his love, we believe that he is calling the redeemed to rededicate and to reaffirm, to renew our resolve to make, as Jesus said, go, therefore, make disciples in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mature, teaching them to observe all things, Multiply faithful followers of Christ, of Jesus. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of age. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. The shepherds actually began discussing and praying about this. We, I would say about March of 2015. And I have to say that today is very exciting. It's very gratifying because many people, godly people, have put much effort into this. And as Ty said this eloquently, that it's a culmination of many people seeking the same thing as a body of Christ. These are biblical principles. They're just being combined in a way that they can be as a game plan, an execution plan, which we unequivocally aspire to carry out things that we are actually doing right now and things that we want to accomplish at a later date. So it's our prayer that as we, as a body and as a, individuals, we become more focused and intentional as we work together moving forward and that the fruit that we bear will be abundant because we believe God will bless us.
Because if we're bringing glory to God, He is faithful and He will bless us. We would like for you to have this information as you leave here today. In the foyer, for your convenience, there are some brochures with the seven commitments, with our vision statement. And may I encourage you, the shepherds encourage you, as you leave, dedicate a time and place that you quietly read through these and pray for the pine tree body and then pray that God reveal to you what he wants you to do. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should do. In addition, Brother Phil challenged us last week to... Uh, I believe, set our telephones. And so I'm just going to make sure my phone is set. It is, and there it is. So Now, if you're Cliff McWhorter, do you have to teach your rooster to ro uh, crow at 7, or do you have a smartphone, Cliff? <laughs> we need a group of people that will help us through this process. So... The shepherds have asked and they have volunteered two of our staff, one shepherd, one deacon, and Ty Ford, who helped us and has been a key part of this. So Jim Green will be the shepherd, Laurie Venable, Bruce Beaver, Ben Salter, chairman of the deacons, and by the way, we have the best deacons in East Texas. We do. They will be called the keepers of the flame. That's a field term. But I think that it's a pretty good term. Because if we see the Olympics, you see the torch, you see the one, one running with a tor torch, it is their job to make sure that the torch stays lit. And they will help in the capacity of offering guidance, offering advice, and soliciting input. But it's pretty much to help facilitate the execution of these commitments. I would like to lead a prayer on behalf of the keepers of the flame, on behalf of this congregation. And because we're running a little over, this will serve as our closing prayer. But as you leave here, please remember to take the uh, brochures, prayerfully consider them. This is a day that we're very excited about. And we consider it a time in which God will be blessing us. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for loving us you not only committed, but you sacrificed your life to save our souls. You died and holy blood flowed for all those who have been redeemed. And then you adopted us. 
sons and daughters. This day we rededicate and renew our resolve to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. We pray that you will impart your wisdom upon Jim, Ty, Bruce, Laurie, and Ben. Help them to keep the flame lit. The holy fire that you can give, we pray, will keep them motivated. Breathe into their hearts, their mind, their souls, discernment along with a contagious love for your service. We pray that you will anoint them with your grace as they provide guidance while seeking to fulfill your will. Take these commitments, Lord. Raise up this day men and women who love you, who hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and who through your power and your might will help bring these words to life. It is our prayer that in all that is done, that is all that we seek and all that we strive, you and you alone will be glorified. You are a God of infinite possibilities who greatly desires to bless those who seek to bring you glory. And it is in our our prayer, Lord, it is our prayer that we are on the cusp of doing magnificent things for your kingdom. Bless us, O Lord. It is in the name of Jesus that this body of believers pray and the congregation said, Amen. You're dismissed.